Drawing room over here. You made it. Oh, come on through. Do you fancy drink? What's your tipple? Well, it has all the hallmarks of your dad's favourite spy novel. Russians, intelligence agencies, stolen documents and double agents. But this is no novel. And then one day I went for a walk and I said to my wife, I said, look at that. That doesn't look like lanterns. She looked at this and she said, they're cameras. Sadil was being watched for months. And then, on a cold night in early June 1993, there was a loud knocking on his front door. This is a recent chapter in ASIO's history and the affair, which is the focus of a new podcast, Nest of Traitors, hosted by Joey Watson, who joins me now. G'day, Joey. G'day, Andy. How are you going? We just heard there in the tape uh, you talking to George Sedil. Who is George Sedil? George Sedil. Um, George Sedil was a man that existed within a very particular cultural context in the history of espionage in the Cold War. So what had happened is in 1992, uh, Europe was awash with uncertainty uh, in the snowy city of Riga in the recently independent Latvia. Uh, a bloke uh, showed up at the British embassy. He's carrying a plastic bag full of groceries. From beneath the groceries, he retrieves a sheaf of documents. This bloke's name was Vasily Matrokin. He was an archivist. He'd been an archivist for the KGB, the feared uh, spy agency of the Soviet Union, for some 30 years. And during those 30 years, he'd become quite disillusioned and started smuggling documents out of the archive in his shoe and hiding them under the floor of his uh, suburban log cabin in the outer suburbs of Moscow. And, you know, when the Cold War ended... Uh, and in that uncertainty of post-Cold War Europe, he felt comfortable enough to go and give up some 11,000 documents to the uh, British Embassy. And uh, they were smuggled out. And when they were rifling through, they found that there was a section on Australia. And in that section on Australia, it, there was uh, some incontrovertible evidence that ASIO during the Cold War had been penetrated by a mole. Uh, one of its spies had turned to start working for the other side. So the AFP were brought in. They uh, started an operation called Liver. And uh, this man, George Shadil, that you just heard, he became suspect number one. So how did he make his way to Australia and uh, in the employ of ASIO? George Shadil was from what they call a white Russian background. So his family had been anti-Bolshevik. Uh, his dad had fought the uh, Bolshevik revolution that it had brought communists, communists into Russia. He arrived as a teenager and a few decades later, he found himself working as a cop in Canberra in the 60s. But as a native Russian speaker, uh, he was a very attractive employment prospect for ASIO. They'd been uh, tapping the phones and bugging the embassy of the Soviet officials that were coming and staying in, in Australia, you know, suspecting that they might have been KGB spies amongst them. Not many people has, at ASIO at the time spoke Russian, so um, they brought in people like George uh, who could... Um, you know, to translate those conversations and, and tell them what was going on. So the revelation that Australia's security agency was breached by a mole happened in, well, very much after the fact. And it wasn't until 1993 as part of the hunt for the mole uh, and this rather humorously named Operation Liver that uh, George Sadil <laughs> was arrested and he was convicted of improperly removing secret documents and given a suspended sentence. Now, it, it was sort of made clear that he was unlikely to be the actual mole. But so does that make it uh, that George was a scapegoat or did they genuinely think it was him or was he a patsy for 
other people's crimes? Well, that's sort of one of the uh, essential questions that I asked, certainly in the beginning of the podcast, Andy. Um, uh, George Shadil became a target because uh, the AFP had built a profile from the mall based on various pieces of information that had come out of the Soviet Union, both from the archivist Matrokin that I mentioned earlier and tidbits that had come out through America and through um, Britain and other allies in the West. Uh, and they managed to build a profile based around two clues, one that the mall had a five-letter surname, S-A-D-I-L, Sadil, which was an anglicization of the Russian name Sadilnikov, met the profile. And secondly, that the mall had a wife in ASIO, that was brought up a lot in court, I understand. Um, George did not have a wife in ASIO, but his sister Tanya did work for ASIO and she was quite a respected operator um, within the organization. So the AFP thought it was close enough for them to start monitoring them, monitoring him. And when they did, some suspicious things started to uh, emerge. And it revolved around a relationship he had with a Russian trade official. This guy's name was Vyacheslav Tataranov. Tataranov had done two postings of Australia. George had been listening to Tataranov during during those two postings, he'd been translating a lot of the conversations that he'd been having on the phone from his house and his office. But then after the Cold War, Tataranov started attending church services at George Sedil's church in uh, Canberra, the Russian Orthodox Church in Canberra, where I spent a, where I spent a bit of time for this investigation. And um, uh, what happened was him and Tataranov actually ended up becoming quite close, very good friends. George Sidel even became the godfather to Tataranov's son when he was baptized into the Russian Orthodox Church. And uh, and that was enough to put some big question marks over Sidil. So they, they, the AFP started out, uh, they, they bought they, they'd moved into the house across the road from George Sedil. They they cut the bushes, um, the rose bush that was out the front of the house so they could install cameras and peep into his living room. There was a, 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 a camera put into the mic, uh, the air conditioning vent above George Sedil's desk and they'd started to see that he was taking documents home. And then when he was arrested, the documents that George Sedil had been taken home had taken home were laid out on his living room floor. Um, George Sedil, to this day and in court maintained that those documents were retirement documents, that they were not classified, that they had nothing to do with Tadaranov. Um, and ultimately, the evidence in court that firstly could prove that George Shadil was handing those documents to his churchmate Tataranov, and secondly, that Tataranov was even a KGB spy, didn't really necessarily um, stand, stand up. Um, and so I can't, kind of came to the conclusion that George Shadil was definitely not the full story here. Some of my best sources still to this day think George might have been guilty, but even those that do don't think that that was everything that that was going on. And indeed, as I go further into this investigation, further into the podcast, I find that he he definitely was not the full story. He was given a suspended sentence. Whatever happened to him afterwards, I assume that uh, his employment was no longer tenable given everything that happened. Yeah, absolutely. That was the end for him at ASIO. Um, the question, the, the answer to that is 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 nothing really. I mean, the the trial had a severe impact on his, um, at least on the public telling. The, the, the answer is nothing really. Like the, it had a severe impact on his um, personal and mental health, um, on his finances. Of course, um, he spent years asking for. Uh, 
some sort of compensation from the government. He lobbied for it. Um, there was a feeling certainly within members of the Russian community that I'd spoken to because uh, like Canberra's Russian Orthodox community particularly because the AFP had gone in um, with ASIO, requested a copy of the parish register from the Russian Orthodox Church and it became a kind of A to Z shopping list. Like they'd hit every single parishioner no matter how old they were. And there was a, a sort of feeling at the time that the entire community had been put under suspicion. And indeed, I think... Um, after the trial, I think there was a feeling that like certainly some of the Russians that I've spoken to that, um, you know, and George definitely on a personal level, cause I've spent quite a little bit of, t- quite a, quite a bit of time with George. We, we meet for, um, uh, coffee and Parashki at his, uh, at his nursing home where Parashki are, uh, be quite uh, elderly by now. Yeah. Yeah. He is. He's in his late eighties. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there was a feeling that they'd sort of been unduly cast, mm. um, where really, uh, you know, the real story. And as we've seen from moles overseas and I, and I think this is consistent with what with, with what was ultimately found in Australia is that um, you know the moles are the are kind of like establishment figures like you think of people like the Cambridge Five and stuff like that you know these are people that are deeply on in on the on the inside you know that you would say surely not one of us but yeah, maybe after all, it was one of us. So that was the fallout uh, for George and also the Russian community in Canberra and Australia. What about Asia? I mean, they don't come across terribly well in this podcast. It's sort of leaky, it's lumbering. In fact, one of the writers charged with recording the official history of Asia, John Blacksland, said he would walk away from the project if the agency refused to acknowledge that it was infiltrated by Soviet spies during the 70s and 80s. Do you think that ASIO's ever fully reckoned with this history? Uh, no, I think ASIO would say that they had reckoned with it through the official history. They feel like that a lot of things, I, I think George Blackson ended, ended up being able to say that only 9% or something was was redacted in the final version. But indeed, ASIO have not engaged with the penetration question at all. And there is now incontrovertible evidence that, you know, at the very least one, if not possibly more, um, and that's the line of inquiry that I take in the podcast, um, ha- uh, K- uh, ASIO spies had turned to work for the KGB. Um, you know, overseas uh, there's been sort of decades of reckoning through <laughs> through literature and through files that are finally being released around the great traitors in, in the UK, like the Cambridge Five. Um, in America, um, you might remember the cases of like Bob, Bob Hansen, which became quite famous in, in, the, in the 90s, um, or Rick Ames, where the, uh, the KGB, uh, sorry, where the, um, the, the CIA and the FBI went to extraordinary lengths to, to go after their moles and to prosecute them. I mean, for Bob Hansen, they actually created a sort of true show like reality created a, a false job for him where there was he had a false supervisor and a false um false staffers where they could monitor him and they eventually caught him in the act and in australia i asked the same questions like you know why 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 did why didn't the same sort of things happen here and um a lot of former counterintelligence people feel like uh you know that that i spoke to feel like that asio the, the very fact that the investigations didn't really go anywhere is almost a pointer to the fact of penetration itself. But that's when you get into this wilderness of mirrors stuff and, mm. uh, and things become very complicated and murky and strange. Mm. Speaking of f- uh, famous uh, American spies, recently I had the director of uh, A Compassionate Spy, the documentary that told the story of the Harvard whiz kid, Ted Hall, who began... Uh, really spying on America's Manhattan Project from the inside for the Russians. He did it 
Uh, he said, and this is the title of the, the doco, out of compassion for countries who didn't get that technological advantage uh, through the A-bomb. It's an extraordinary sentiment, really, when you think about it, extraordinary human sentiment. I was thinking about all of the time you've spent with um, former ASIO uh, operatives in Australia and wondered what you learnt about human history and human nature in doing this investigation. One thing that is true to um, all of the spies that I've spoken to is that living in a world of deception, especially during a period like the Cold War, because that is where this inquiry takes me, um, seems to... Uh, <laughs> have induced a, a sense of paranoia that is carried into um, their retirement. And that was a very interesting thing to come to terms with. I have always been, I, I was sort of radicalized into spy stories through James Bond and the archetype of James Bond as this kind of international gangster. Um, but the truth is that in the world, the world of spycraft, like people often de debunk James Bond and say that, oh no, in reality, it's just kind of bureaucracy. Um, but the truth is that it's it's much more strange than that. Mm. Great to uh, have you to talk about this new podcast, Secrets We Keep, Nest of Traitors. You can get it anywhere you get your podcast. Host, Joey Watson, good to talk to you. Thanks so much, Andy. Cheers. You've been listening to a podcast of The Drawing Room with me, Andy Park. 